Hey, Saints and Ames. What up with y'all? It's been a long time, but we're here. Yeah, man, I'm excited to be back. I am too. You didn't do your whole little banter, babe, when you like, um, hey, Saints and Ames, and, and the whole little thing that you do. Well, I mean, I could say, hey, go get vaccinated, brush your teeth, <laughs> put your deodorant on, you know, wear some clean socks, uh, get a washcloth. I, I know some 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 kinds of saints, they don't got washcloths in their house. You know, they just got big tiles and they wash with their hands. And I don't, So you're telling us saints, they brush things. That's basically what you're No, I'm that. saying their bodies, you know, still got dirt on it because you ain't got no friction. <laughs> and so that's what I'm saying is 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 clean clean yourself That's, i always thought it was weird people who wash it with their hands i just i thought it was on movies what happened until i start staying at certain folks what houses like process? hey i need a washcloth and they like huh the rear end part well how do, how does that happen i mean and then i heard people don't wash their legs do you use your hands and then wash your you know hands? people don't wash their legs they just let the soap run <laughs> down they think that's sufficient how you don't wash my your- god it's dirt there too how you don't wash your legs I, Okay, you know what? Let's get it, into this. It's befuddling to Let's me, too. Let's get into this 30 Minutes with the Pairs, because we is. Anywho, today <laughs> we, we have a guest. Uh, y'all know usually we just talk to each other, but we just start to think, you know, we ain't that smart. You know, we, we know what we know. What right. we don't, we don't. And so why don't we just start bringing in folks that have done the work in areas and spaces where they know things that we want to learn about. And it just made so, so much sense for you. And, and, you know, introduce this idea of bringing people on because we know some pretty cool people. Yeah, we do. In the body. And so we have a special guest with us today. I think he's special. I think he's special. We, we, we want to welcome to the 30 Minutes with the Pair stage, Mr. Reverend Dr. Charlie Day. <laughs> Reverend Doctor. Listen, Ain't that who you are? You're yeah, a Reverend and a Doctor. So I have been doing all I can to contain <laughs> the laughter, the bubbling over of joy in my soul sitting here. Watching you two act a fool. I wish y'all could see him. He uh, here looking like hip hop <laughs> with each other. And I don't know how y'all live together, yeah. doing this every day back and forth. We torture our children. That's how this how this how marriages last. Goodness, yeah. it is a joyful thing. Give us some context for you. Who are you? Yeah. What do you do? What did you study? My name is Charlie Dates. I was born December 18 in Chicago on the far south side to Jesse Shot May Dates. And uh, man, I'm a I was about to say something that, that should not go on record, but I, I'm I'm a Negro preacher <laughs> in the most wonderful sense, I hope. I pastor uh, the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago, a historic and iconic church. It's about 102 years old now. I'm the husband of Kirstie Dates, uh, finest frog hair, sugar in my Kool-Aid, activator <laughs> in my Jerry Curl. That's my girl. <laughs> and I'm the father of uh, Charlie Edward Dates II and Claire Lisbeth. I'm a graduate of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, a double major in speech communication and rhetoric. I hold a Master of Divinity degree from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and the PhD in Historical Theology from the same. Talk that talk, sir. Give God yeah. all the glory. So he's smart. Basically, That's basically he, what he's He educated. He, he, he got kids. He married. <laughs> he, he preached at a church that had been around a long time. And he's smart. No, this is not even to gas you, Charlie. You one of my favorite people, bro. Listen, no, this real wow. talk. It's real my talk. My goodness, that's why. That's why Charlie's past. writing. Let's go. To my we book. can go right now. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, no, you are. Listen, no. Let me tell y'all. When y'all read this book too, it's not just the content. The content is important. Mm-hmm. But you ever read good content, but it puts you to sleep all the time. <laughs> this is a page turner. I am so thrilled um, just to be reading this, mm. and uh, I can't wait for everybody else to get it. So I. I'm honored to be here with y'all. Yeah, um, 
Preston, I, I think the world of, of you and your, your ministry, but not just that. I mean, you said something one day on the phone that just really kind of took me. You said, man, I just love the truth. Yeah. And you weren't even, I don't even think you were trying to say, you were trying to figure out how to convey what was on your heart. And uh, I think that's part of what, what God is up to in y'all. Yeah. Y'all mm -hmm. love the truth more than you are attracted to the pleasures of the world. Mm -hmm. Amen. And um, I want more of that to rub off on me. So that's one of the reasons why. That's dope, well, man. Yeah. That's so encouraging, man. Well, we, we have Charlie here because we just wanted to have a conversation about what uh, we call the black church. Yeah. Um, PBS just oh re uh, recently released a documentary about the black church, and I think it, it stimulated a lot of conversation on social media about yeah, it, yeah. Uh, within, you know, circles. And even in my seminary context, uh, I'm learning that people don't have much um, – knowledge of the black church they're mm -hmm. they're thrown off even by the language of the black church yeah. and so i think i, I just want to open up our conversation by asking what is the black church yeah no so first of all let me say this and i'm not saying it because i'm salty i'm not uh dr henry lewis gates asked me to be a part of the mm -hmm. documentary which i thought was very kind uh we weren't able to make it work out for several reasons but once i saw it um and i saw the bend of it uh, the very thing I was pressing him to explore, I, I see why it made sense I wasn't in it. Mm -hmm. There is uh, a whole swath of the black church underrepresented or not represented at all mm. uh, within that documentary. So to answer your question, what is the black church? The black church is the present living legacy of what E. Franklin Frazier called the invisible institution. So when you read Frazier's work uh, on the black church, he does a remarkable job at talking about how so-called slaves, men and women taken in captivity against their will, would steal away from the, the plantation or to their own corners, sometime to their own campground, mm. and they would have church. And it was at this church where the preacher would get up and preach far more than what the white slave master preacher was preaching. Mm -hmm. You can imagine what they were preaching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, slaves obey your masters, uh, God has a plan for you, but it won't manifest in this world. You just need to wait till the sweet by and by. Mm. Some stuff you even hear today. But the slave preacher got up and said, no, there's more to this book than that, and would preach about heaven and God's power to bring about joy on earth, mm. like a whole book of Exodus, mm -hmm. you know, the the Psalms, the, the torture of Jesus Christ. And they didn't just hear preaching, they sang. So I, I'm waiting one day really for an updated uh, discussion or book on the slave songs. So one of them that comes to mind is um, Deep River. Yeah. We were just in Cincinnati for the kids' spring break, and we went to the Underground Railroad. It's right there on the Ohio River. And they, they're singing Deep River. I can't wait to cross over in the campground. Well, Deep River was symbolic not just of go death and going on to be with the Lord, but the Ohio River. Hmm where they could escape from a slave state to a free state. And campground wasn't merely just a place where they could be free in church. It was a place where they wanted to be free in life. So the black church is the living legacy of that institution that believes in liberation and the flourishing of all humanity on the grounds of the gospel. That's dope. Not merely by what we can accomplish on our own, mm -hmm. but by God's great power. One thing I've heard people say. Hold on real fast. I just thought so. So everybody then that says they're black church today mm -hmm. ain't really a black church. Explain. It's this is what what I'm describing are those who are tethered to that legacy. 
to that history. So we embody Mm. what our forefathers broke away from Mm. and the values, the the theological values that they espoused. So you you have a lot of black people now today, because black people are not monolithic, who go to church, but it's not a church that cares about the flourishing, the liberation, and the dignity of all humanity on the grounds of the gospel. Mm. It's it's another kind of church with black people at it. Mm. Wow. That's good. I like that. Well, that's really good. The distinction is yeah. what I like. Uh, I wanted to ask, one thing I've heard people say is how can you say black church and that be okay? Yeah. Yet if we say white church, then that's racist. Yeah. You know? Well, I think white in America has been normative for so long that the distinctions are, quite frankly, not our fault. Um, I I do think that there would be, let's just say historically, we probably would not know in America, excuse me, of a black church had there not been the failure of white Christianity to even undergird the hierarchy of uh, racism and slavery. So. Mm. The distinction, the beauty of the black church is actually a gift to America. It's not a cuss word. It's a blessing mm. because I think it's the redemption and the salvation of Christianity in America. I firmly believe that the black church is the kind of hope for America. Mm. And I don't know if you guys got to see Esau's article that's not been printed yet. in the, the New no, York Times. And and uh, so I'm still a little bit. But uh, he's talking about the black church and our response to Easter. The women who come to the tomb are coming to grieve. We know how to grieve, but the angel turns him back and says, no, you got to go back in that world now with hope because he ain't here. Mm. And I think the black church in America can teach us not only how to grieve, but how to go back into the world with the hope of the risen Savior. Yeah. So it it's not bad. It's mm. not a bad word. It's a good thing. Mm. And, and when I talk to our non-white evangelical brothers and sisters, I tell them if, if they can relax a little bit and learn from the black church, tradition they can actually help their people to thrive and do better and their churches to do better wow that's deep what would you say to the to to the people who um to the to to black folk who go to seminary yeah and tend to kind of disassociate themselves (laughs) with the black church when they um, get a hold to quote-unquote sound teaching that's the real pandemic and, and, (laughs) and let me add to that because not even seminary i remember when i was a new believer and you know i went to a pentecostal church they weren't pentecostal like they weren't in a pentecostal denomination but the way we functioned was very pentecostal right um but then i was introduced to certain teachers uh who they did not explicitly say that the black church is unsound or not orthodox but i feel like the thing the way things were framed it felt as if i had to distance myself from that heritage for me to be a solid teacher does that make sense or i I, i've seen people not disassociate themselves holistically from the black church or the black experience black church experience but just the teaching part so mm-hmm. i'm going to keep all to the music mm-hmm. and the you know but when oh, it comes yeah. to teaching yeah i'm only going to listen to white pastors white pastors yeah. Yeah. And so what would you say to the people who man that's a whole thing how about i say can't yeah. we do two 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> um well the first thing is that having walked those hallways but never having drunk that kool-aid i can tell you it's real you are introduced to what I call the theological arrogance of the academy, particularly of the white academy, a kind of ecclesiological 
um, they they just tend to think they know better um, dominance. And and so the challenge is and this is the problem with even the word evangelical is that in the academy, we're often introduced to terms that do not fit black people neatly. Hmm. It's almost like, you know, you go to a doctor who's only studied uh, one homogenous group of people, white people. And and so you introduce uh, an ethnic body, a black body. Yeah, it has the same compartments, but it functions differently. Like y'all know today, a lot of black people Mm -hmm. are more lactose intolerant than (laughs) than we have ever put on. And we're trying to figure out why so many black women are getting pancreatic cancer and black men. So if if you go to only a doctor who specializes in one type of person, then they're going to teach you from that perspective. Hmm. So we go to the academy and we run into terms that do not fit the black experience well. I think evangelical, quite frankly, is one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't fit us well, and mm-hmm. we can talk about that later. And, but the reason it's that way is because the disposition of the teaching is always corrective in our institutions. It's never affirmative toward black people. Mm-hmm. I can't think of one white evangelical institution, Baylor's doing better, and I don't know that they would consider themselves evangelical, that is affirming or has a history of affirming black and brown pastors and churches. Mm-hmm. It's always corrective. And so because human nature is a type where we like to show off what we learn, mm-hmm. we get back to the pews of where we were, and there's a dissonance between what we hear and what we experience in school, and we try to correct that. We mm-hmm. try to fix that. I should say, too, though, it's not just in the evangelical academy. It's also our brothers and sisters who go to non-evangelical schools. Right. So they end up bringing back to the church a kind of teaching that also is lost mm. on black people. So they stand up and start preaching and teaching stuff. And the saints are sitting there going, hey, you know, that don't sound mm-hmm. like uh, what I've been reading yeah. in, in my Bible. This sound off. <laughs> and, and so the challenge, I think, and this is the gift that I have. When we send kids to seminary, we need to do so warning them of what they will learn and warning them not to come back crazy. Wow. I had that. <laughs> Thankful to God. Yeah. The other thing that I had was I had a pastor through seminary. So it, it, the whole model of seminary is probably changing. Yeah. So to fly somewhere, to relocate your family for three years to go somewhere is probably not going to be the case. But if you do that where you're dissociated from your church, you need a pastor who can help contextualize what you're doing. Mm. Case in point, mm. I got up preaching one Sunday at our church in Rockford, the New Zion Baptist Church, Pastor Caleb Copeland. And uh, I got to talking about the, the sinner, the woman in Luke 7, you know. And I, and I got to talking about how her name was written with the predicate adjective without the article, our, our motto. <laughs> so she, she is synonymous with sin. You know, Luke doesn't give us her name, and I'm just going through doing all of this. And he pulls me very kindly to his office when we're done. People, you know, very gracious. Mm-hmm. He's like, man, you do know that these people know what sin is without all of that mm. <laughs> that you just <laughs> went into. That was a gentle rebuke mm. mm-hmm. that helped me to understand there is a need for scholarship, but there is no need to show off mm. a kind of teaching that makes you the superior mm. yeah. when you're standing in front of men and women who've been reading this book longer than you've been alive. My God. Oof, so that's a word. So. I just came and just said, all right, I'm 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 actually the student. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the context, in, in this context. Yeah. So those are those are things that I think help us so that when you graduate, you're actually mastered by Jesus rather than you carrying a master of divinity. Yeah. Wow. I wow. love that. Yeah, that's powerful because I think what it shows is 
you know, uh, just because a people group are not showing off all the theological things that they know, doesn't mean they don't know the things because mm-hmm. you know you learn you learn how to like put them in words because yeah. you've been to seminary. Because it's like just because they're not saying atonement and propitiation and expiation and all that, it doesn't mean that they're they're ignorant. Yeah. And I think that's the assumption. Yeah. Is that because they haven't co-opted the language that they somehow lack the you know the content yeah. that well, the language language explains and the lived experience of the black church. Hmm. Far greater in many ways bears out the theological truths that the evangelical institution teaches. Mm. Yeah. Who has shown us what sanctification looks like? Yeah. Better. What what people group models justification yeah. and adoption and reconciliation? Absolutely. More than than these people. Because even how we come to know God is mainly a lot of ways through our suffering. Oh my and goodness. And what people group have suffered mm-hmm. more and than maintained the black hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so when it comes to reconciliation, you know, <laughs> we've had to, you oh know, my goodness. forgive. Yes. And, you yes. know, and so to be a black Christian in America My goodness. is a tall task. It is, man. It is. And I think these institutions don't have black professors, too. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes when they do, they are so marginalized. You know, I think of some of the black guys I know who serve in these institutions. Man, they're so marginalized. And then sometimes these the administration of these institutions um, look for black men or if they're brave black women who are not connected to the indigenous black experience mm-hmm. so that they could put people in front of students who merely affirm their predisposed arrogance toward mm-hmm. the black church experience. Wow. And if you, so just take it this way. If you go to school for four years, three or four years, and you don't have but one black professor, implicitly that's going to say to you, my people don't know. Mm-hmm. This stuff that ain't true. Yeah. So I, you know, quite frankly, I think any white institution that does not seek to fix that is caught up in the cultural lies of sin and racism, and are perpetuating it in real time. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in rooms and go, "Boo, we've looked for black professors, we can't find them." Mm. Bull feathers. Uh, <laughs> he said, we, "Bull feathers we are <laughs> around." I'm going to use that we one day. Around. Bull feathers, mom. <laughs> Preston, you, you tell a story about a friend of yours who went to a particular seminary, um, you know, who was kind of discouraged from a, a style of yeah. preaching that I yeah. think would be important. So I had this friend who, I'm not going to name the seminary, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. he, he he has been <laughs> he uh, he he was he was deeply affected um, by a moment when he first got up to preach, yeah. um, and it was his first time. And he was excited. And, you know, he came from black church, yeah. you know, and so he got up and he began to, to speak or whatever. And uh, he was interrupted, uh-huh. you yeah. know, um, yeah. and kind of sat down. And then afterwards, they sat down and talked to him. And they basically told him that the way he preached, right. not necessarily what he said, sure. but the way he delivered it sure. was um, taken away from the weight of the message Mm -hmm. and it was distracting because it was too emotional because it was too emotional it was too passionate and basically he became the center of attention not the text what would you say to people who have that way of thinking or yeah yeah well i had a similar experience um my second preaching lab narrative preaching i preached and i got graded down uh by my peers for the same Wow. So I took it as a badge of honor, strangely, but that's my ignorance. So, <laughs> and and my mama in in my ear. A few things that come to mind. Number one is 
the normative response to preaching in these academies have been set by predominantly white evangelicals who, who think their way of doing church is the way to do it. But it's actually epistemologically inconsistent. Mm. The word gospel, ev- evangelical gospel, means good news, which to any other human mind, good news fires off mm-hmm. a response yep. mm-hmm. and a positive response. And, and so when Frank Thomas writes that book, They Like to Never Quit Praising Them, uh, capturing the recorded message of a journalist investigating the black church, um, <laughs> it, is, it is our response to the good news to have some enthusiastic participation in it. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong when you can experience the gospel and not have no, not have a response. You should have So, so they, so listen. And then, I felt that I'm, I'm a student of rhetoric. Aristotle gave us these three uh, principles in rhetoric. There is ethos, the credibility of the speaker. There is logos, the reason or the word by which the speaker uh, does what they do, and then pathos. And Aristotle says, without that trifecta, you cannot be persuasive in your articulation. Hmm. You need reason. You need the word. You need reason to connect the logic. You need credibility, but you need pathos. Mm-hmm. So when Benjamin Franklin goes to here, I think it's George Whitfield or so, and, and he's known not to be a believer. Somebody, a reporter asked Ben, say, hey, we didn't know you were a believer. We thought you He said, I'm not. He said, I don't believe it. He said, but I believe this guy believes. Hmm. There, I, hmm. I'm amazed at how many non-black churches I have gone to preach at, and people come, and this is no aggrandizement of my own. They come with tears in their eyes. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> the shivering lips, <laughs> yeah. and then it's, it's, they're trying to get. I just, oh, I'm thinking of one. But me and Matt was at, and this woman, she grabbed me. I just, I haven't heard preaching like that since I was, and and I say to myself, shame on your pastor. Wow. Mm-hmm. For getting up and lecturing, y'all. Mm. Preaching is the proclamation of good news. This ain't no recitation of a history book. Mm. Yeah. This is the forth telling. And when you do that, there is a Holy Ghost response mm. that takes. So it's not mere emotion in a human sense. No, this is the joy of the Lord mm. made manifest in our experience. Mm. I think it's a crime to be unemotive in preaching. Mm. Yeah. I think yeah. it's dishonest, mm. yeah. But because it's not true of the product, and it's not true of the person who placed the product. My yeah. God, Oof. that's really I good. I feel that because yeah. I, I think for me, like when I when I teach the scriptures, I see it not only as like I'm informing you, yeah. but I also want to engage your heart. Yes, you yeah. know, and I feel like how you communicate, whether loud or soft. Uh, really does determine how somebody receives not only the gospel but the truth that the gospel is good, which is what you're saying. Yes. You know, like I, like I sh- I should be excited about God, and yes. I think that's the the thing that I love most about the black church experience is that you just cannot walk out not being happy. Yeah, yeah. it's just not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like you they no, go they gonna preach can. you happy. Yeah, and, and some people have abused it. You know, I'll be the first to say it, some people are really good at it. You know, I'm not a shutdown artist. I would love to be able hmm. to shut it down every week. Yeah. I do it better at home in the shower <laughs> than I do because I'd be like at full blown throttle, you know, in the mm. pulpit, so it don't come out as smooth. But but to your point, I think it's Evan Crawford wrote this book called The Hum. It's a dated book, but he explores some of the history of it, of 
that climactic conclusion. It's not just the conclusion, but that the black preacher does. Mm -hmm. We call it the art of intonation or hooping. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lord. And then it just kind of gets into the smooth thing. I didn't realize this till I read Evans Crawford, but my grandmother illustrated it. Uh, my grandmother didn't know how to read well. And it was that end of the sermon that was kind of the preacher was singing and talking at the same time. Something about the tonation of it triggered her memory. And she was able to ride what the preacher was saying mm -hmm. by hearing him sing it, talk it at the same time. So through the week, I would hear her rehearsing the preacher's hoop. Mm -hmm. It was it was sermon memory for her. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that um, the way that the black church has done that and has gifted and bequeathed that to us was a gift to people who came out of suffering yeah. and and limited resources. Because yeah. I think a lot of slaves remember the gospel through the oral oh, yeah, language, absolutely. And, you know, and because we, we couldn't read. Mm -hmm. But I, th I just think that it's it's God's wisdom and allowing different people groups to communicate a different way, because even as a poet. I'm, I want to say yes. things that yes. a million pastors have said yep. a whole a whole bunch of times, yeah. but I want to communicate it with a different, with, yeah. a, with a particular rhythm and a cadence that will make people remember what I said or say a metaphor that communicates the gospel, in, but in a passionate, you know, yeah. you know, way that will make people remember. And so I just think not only is it is it nothing wrong with it, but I think it's wise. Man, listen, <laughs> I know? should give you my sermon for tonight so you can poeticize it for me <laughs> make it make it better because that's the truth we are creatures who like beauty mm. but and let me, art let me tell you this though you, you might not be a poet but what you do is an art form mm -hmm. preaching wow. is an art yep. form yeah it's an art and not everybody can do it so yeah. that's why people probably hate on it <coughs> that's <Okay>. a word <laughs> now uh going a little left um when i consider like the civil rights movement uh -huh. in particular I've always found it interesting that many of the leaders were pastors right? or, you know, theological in some way. Yeah. Um, and it can seem as if like the church led many of like the social justice yes. movements yes. back in the day. Do you think that the church is still leading the way now or not? Uh, more so not, unfortunately. And I'm trying to figure this out. So I'm writing a book right now, which is well overdue. It's it's called What Hath Justice to Do with Righteousness? Hmm. And it traces, at least at the foreground, a little bit of history. Because you're right. We're going to go uh, to Ebenezer when we're done and, you know, look at a little bit of the King Center stuff. And when you look at the tall voices that led the way, you have Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Or we could even go back to abolition. Although Frederick Douglass was not a pastor, he is very crisp and clean in his Christian convictions. Mm -hmm. But you got Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman, all of these women who anchor their sense of conviction in the gospel. But, but particularly in the 50s and the 60s, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, you know, they named the airport after him in Birmingham, um, Reverend Ralph Abernathy, and so many of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, Evie Hill, was once like the vice president of Southern Christian Leadership Conference. I, I This has been my basic argument that they did it not in lieu of the gospel, but they did it because of the gospel. Mm -hmm. They had a superior moral ground, and they knew it that they stood on that made their argument stronger. That's why Dr. King could stand up 
in the cusp of world power at the Mall of Washington in 1963 and preach until John Kennedy had to say, I felt that in my bones. Mm. That's what he said. That's what Kennedy said mm. when he heard him preach on the, his TV screen in the White House because they had a superior moral ground. And that wasn't man-made human wisdom. Mm. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ that they brought to bear upon the conscience of the nation. Wow. Today, today, man, I, so we were marching in Chicago behind uh, Laquan McDonald's murder, and it's cold. It was like Black Friday a number of years ago. And I'm standing there, and Jesse Jackson is a few paces up, and Marshall Hatch and, and Reverend Meeks, and Otis Moss is off to the side and a few others. And these young guys and girls come by, and they start yelling at us. Now, they, now we got the larger crowd. Mm -hmm. They start yelling at us. Go home. Y'all don't belong here. Mm. That praying, it ain't working this time. You had your time. They were so disrespectful. But I heard something in what they were saying. Here is a group of young people who were raised without a God conscience. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't even recognize that the right, the fact that we got the right to buy property wherever we want to in Chicago, post-1972, the fact that we have the right to vote, vote yeah. came from these Church people yeah, yeah, who were doing it. And there is such a clear rejection so that now Black Lives Matter seeking to accomplish what it's doing is doing it largely without the church. Mm -hmm. Wow. And there are other reasons why. But yeah, let me let me ask you this. Uh, this what you just said sparked a, a, a idea or a thought. Um, do you think for a lot of the people who say, you know, Black Lives Matter um, is of the world or this critical race theory argument? Do you think that for, for people who have a problem with a lot of black Christians standing up for social justice, do you think they have a problem with it because they see a large majority of the world um, standing up for social justice? So when black Christians come alongside that, they seem like we're adopting something in the world that really the church started to right. begin with. Yeah. Do you think that's a, a, a big part of it? Because now it seems, I, I, I think this if this was the 60s, and it was primarily church leaders leading right. the way, they wouldn't have an argument. But when you see Black Lives Matter, you don't necessarily see the right. church. You see the right. world, and it, it yeah. seems like you know, Christians are trying I, to adopt. I don't, I don't know, though, Preston, because it, when it was church-led, their parents still rejected it. Oof. So w when they did have an opportunity to denounce the Confederate flag, when they had an opportunity to stand up against Jim Crow in Alabama, their foremothers and forefathers went right along with it. I mean, read the, the tales are haunting about how they had caskets in churches in the South where they buried the Constitution and they buried the Bible because black people were getting the right to vote and stuff like that. Wow. So it doesn't matter if the church leads it or doesn't lead it. It's sin. Yeah. Oppression and power and the lust for power is sin. And so I don't think these some of these people who don't get with it because it's not led by the church would have gotten with it yeah. then. No, they're trying to conserve something. Mm -hmm. It almost feel like Low Down Dirty Shame's old movie. I don't know if y'all know that <laughs> message. Yeah, of course we do. <laughs> um, they're trying to conserve something. And in order to do that, they have to keep a certain people group on the margin or wow. tell us why. Critical race theory, real quick. Frederick Douglass, I mean, not Frederick Douglass, Thurgood Marshall is essentially a critical race theorist. Mm. Yeah, he not in not with all the baggage that people assign to him today, but all critical race theory is, is a legal systematic way. It's born out of critical legal studies, a systematic way to dismantle oppression. That's what Thurgood Marshall did yeah. traveling from court to court through the South, 
as he and uh, Charles Hamilton Houston engineered uh, an idea to desegregate schools. Mm -hmm. And so we would not have the civil rights movement apart from critical race theory or critical legal studies. We yeah. wouldn't. If anything... Critically thinking through these ideas and how well, to destroy and, and saying that a system can be wrong. That's yeah. really what it is. Yeah. The system is broken, and so we therefore need to think of a systematic way to tear down. And in their minds, it was through the law. It was through the courts. Yeah. So the people who like rally against it and rail against it, who also are quiet about George Floyd and Ahmaud <laughs> Arbery and, and Breonna Taylor and a list of others, the people who rail against it do not even see what it has bequeathed to us. Yeah. And really, we'd have had no need for it if they had stood up and said, wow. all people are made in the image and likeness of God. Nobody deserves to be oppressed or marginalized and that there is systemic racism. Yeah, I'll stop there. God have mercy. <sighs> we doing a whole Lord. podcast on critical race theory. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up. Coming up. What you so, say? Yeah. Because, because, so yeah, yeah, it's overwhelming. Um, I, I, I want to ask this question because it's. I remember one time I, I taught at a church down here, um, Blueprint Church, uh -huh. and I was speaking about sexuality. Yeah. And it was during the Q and A time, and this guy stood up and he said, "Do you believe that the black church mm -hmm. needs to repent of its homophobia?" Which to me was a very interesting question yeah. because I do think that many of my experiences with how I saw myself as someone who was tempted with, you know, same-sex desires and all these things. I think a lot of the shame yeah. that developed in me yeah. was my experience in the black church. Yes. And so I guess my question to you is, for those who say that the black church as an institution is homophobic and misogynistic, yeah. what is your response? Yeah, I think that um, like most institutions, the the record of the black church is imperfect here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. What what I find is the other side of the story that, that I'd like to tell, and that is that the church like the one I grew up in did not gay bash. And there were very clearly homosexual men in mm -hmm. particular there. And, you know, gay bashing doesn't mean that a church is not homophobic mm -hmm. or the absence of it doesn't mean that a church is not homophobic. But there was room made for our understanding as children that these people are, and I quote, different. Mm. Mm. They were not ostracized, however, so that they had to sit in a certain section or they couldn't be involved in ministry. Now, some ministries, they didn't, <laughs> they, they didn't let people lead uh, who were known to be out like that. So what I saw in the church that I grew up in was more of an embrace of people but at the same time, I didn't see an affirmation of that lifestyle. Mm. So I'm a pastor now, and I've been serving our church for 10 years. I was associate pastor somewhere else for five years at, at Salem and um, had a joyful tenure there. And I think of in my time now, there's I can't call his name. There's a brother who's going to our church. Uh, he's a gay guy. He went to college. Uh, we went to college at the same time. And I called him one day because— out of the blue, I didn't want to, I wanted to know, am I gay bashing? Mm. Am I, it, the way that I'm preaching and the way that I'm leading is how is it making you feel? And mm. man, his response floored me. Now he's one person. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying this is normative for everybody. But he said to me, he said, man, I want to know the truth. He said, that's why I come to this church. 
Hmm. Just just preach the truth. Wow. He says, and if it offends me, it offends me. But it's going to offend other people, too. Hmm. He said, and he said, Pastor, I know some of the places where I'm wrong. Yeah. I was now I was floored by what he said. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, because I, I was calling in one sense, getting ready to apologize mm. when he was saying, no, tell me the truth. Now, the other side to that is. And my record isn't perfect on this either. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. we have we have looked at people uh, with uh, homosexual who are homosexual and we have been afraid of them. I do think there is a difference between being afraid and affirming. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think we need to be afraid. I think we need to embrace any and everybody God sends, but we do not need to affirm the sins of any and everybody God sends, yeah. including mine. Yeah. Because there's a lot to be said about unredeemed heterosexuality too. Hello. Mm-hmm. And um and I got I got some of that. Call of it. Me, call it out. Me, Lord That's good. So yeah, I I do. I mean, I this is a this is a hard road because the the views and the pews have changed though. Yeah. Okay. So when I grew up in the '80s, it was generally assumed that homosexuality was wrong. The, the kids who are like young adults in our church now yeah. too, that man, they don't, ain't nothing wrong with it, preacher. Well, I don't well, know. Yeah. I just want to remind you both of it over time. I've heard my wife speak on you know sexuality. And homosexuality so many times but the time you invited her to your church oh my god oh, that was different it's probably one of the most wow and i told jackie you know um one i respected you so much for allowing her to come in your you congregation gotta come back too. Yes. i want to come back yes. when this yes. panorama is over <laughs> 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 to come in your congregation and we were so encouraged just how intentional you were with building the black community mm. and being unapologetically black yeah and christian and solid and loving and well-rounded and so we were just we was just we were so just encouraged. encouraged. We were so encouraged, but I think at the same time, I think Jackie she preached. I think the environment and just the, I don't know, the, just the vibe was. It just was different, different. because was different. I, I I for one I cried. Yeah. I don't ever really. And she broke down crying about the because I heard this message before, yeah. but I never heard it like that like that and, and one thing that some so afterwards i did not understand why i was crying and i was processing it with heidi die mm-hmm. and heidi was like do you think it's because you felt like you were at home mm. yes and that's what it was my is my. that i'm rarely in spaces where my i my. feel like i'm talking to people wow. that i know yeah and so i yeah. there was a level of safety yeah. and vulnerability that i think i had on that stage that i don't i don't have usually that's beautiful man it's your it's your pulpit yo for real come back <laughs> and like i said the same thing to to uh i hope y'all have beth Moore on one of these i just beth Moore about to join our preaching team you, you can do the same <laughs> um that was so the feedback that I heard uh, from some personalities, both well-known and not so well-known, you know, it's interesting when people hear you preach every week, they try to, they, they very lightly try to take, it's, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. No, that's the best sermon a guest preacher has ever preached. <laughs> they like quickly <laughs> came and cleaned it up. But I, but I tell you, there's power in what God has called y'all to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that place felt it it ricocheted with it and i think too y'all got some authenticity and some credibility that a lot of us don't have mm. to to stand on and i think that's how this book is gonna hit too yeah that, that there is a there's a fair measure of that Amen. So, well thank you my pleasure reverend doctor <laughs> thank y'all. for, for coming you. through here 
in uh you know doing your what you call it rhetorical uh, <laughs> pathos and Lord, and all that thing. Lord have mercy. Yeah, my my ethos. Hopefully, I got some ethos, logos, and pathos. And I and I'm gonna pull some of uh, the books you mentioned and put them in our show notes so that just okay. people have access. Because you said a lot of big of words. I know people gonna be like, what? he said epistemology. What is epistemology? <laughs> the epistemology is the study of learning. It's how we come to know, know what we know. Do we know it? That we know it. Well, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank y'all, saints. All right, brother.